Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is Maxwell Crawford, welcoming you to Michael's Saturday Surprise for January the seventh, twenty twenty-three. Tonight, it's time for a tribute to science fiction stories by Robert Sheckley in the X Minus One series. Before beginning the programs, I would like to pay tribute and dedicate all these shows in memory of Amy Lou Todd. Before I start the second story tonight, I will have a very quick memory of this person to share with you all. Even though none of you know her, I'm dedicating all these shows to you, Amy Todd, because you affected my life in an awesome way long ago. Thank you for your service and for cheering me up. And now, our first story from X-1 called The Skulking Permit by Robert Sheckley, aired on July the 4th. 1957. Skulk away, folks, but don't get caught. This is Walter O'Keefe inviting you to listen in on the Nightline. Tonight, live the incredible life of ages yet to come in a time that might be a million years from now. On X minus one. Now, an incredible story of the world beyond. Countdown for blast off. X minus five, four, three, two, X minus one, fire. the far horizons of the unknown come tales of new dimensions in time and space. These are stories of the future, adventures in which you'll live in a million could-be years on a thousand maybe worlds. The National Broadcasting Company, in cooperation with Galaxy Science Fiction Magazine, presents X minus one. Tonight's story, Skulking Permit, by Robert Sheckley. But first, hear this. Pick up some Paps Blue Ribbon. Take it home, chill it, then put it to this test. Have a glass of Paps with your meals for the next several days. You'll find Paps Blue Ribbon makes most everything taste better, that it adds zest and sparkle to any meal. Try it. The bright, modern taste of Paps Blue Ribbon is good anytime and wonderful with meals. Pabst is the name. Made by Pabst Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Now, X-1 and Skulking Permit by Robert Sheckley. August 16th, year 2204. Two... Central Colonial Administrative Authority, Alpha Centauri Sector. From Colonial Contact Inspector 37. Subject, Lost Colony on Planet New Delaware. First contact established in 200 years. 
am proceeding on overdrive for personal investigation. I thought I told oh, you to take consult it easy, me. Mayor. I put the sign up. No aliens allowed within city limits. Uh, what's an alien? Never mind. Look at the church. You painted it wrong. Now, look. Here, I painted that church with a nice bright red. Now, what's wrong with that? I looked it up. It's a little red schoolhouse, not church house. Churches are supposed to be white. Oh, I got along fine enough in New Delaware for 200 years without either of yes, them. Yes, I know. I know what we need them now, and we haven't got much time. Hey, uh, when do I get a police chief badge? I read that a police chief always gets a badge. Make yourself one. Now, go on. All right, then. Oh, oh, it sure is hot. I don't know why the inspector couldn't have come in the wintertime. Oh, Tom. Tom Fisher. Yeah? Uh, come here, Tom. I've got a job for you. Well, now, uh, look, Mayor. I'm on vacation. A fish won't be back in these waters uh, No I... vacation. Not now. The inspectors do any day. Tom, how would you like to be a criminal? Well, I don't know. What's a criminal? Well, come over to my house, and I'll explain. I've got to appoint a criminal. And it looks to me like you're it. New Delaware. New Delaware. Do you hear me, New Delaware? Come in immediately. Yes, yes, uh, we, we hear you. This is Colonial Inspector 3-7. You of New Delaware are still a colony of Earth and subject to our laws. Do you acknowledge that status? Oh, yes. Yes, we called a town meeting last night and we talked it all over... We're still loyal to Earth. Excellent. That saves us the trouble of sending an expeditionary force to reconquer you for Imperial Earth. Imperial? Well, that's funny. All the books talk about Earth as a united democracy. Uh, a lot can change in 200 years. You realize, of course, there is room for only one intelligent species in the universe. Man. All others must be suppressed, wiped out. We can tolerate no aliens. I'm sure you understand, General. I'm not a general. I'm a mayor. You're in charge, aren't you? Uh, yes. And you're a general. Be sure you're running an Earth colony, General. With no radical departures from the norm, such as free will, free love, free elections, or anything else on the prescribed list. It's a colony in order, General. Yeah. You see how it is, Tom? Now, about your job, Tom, I'm appointing you town criminal. Well, I don't see why there has to be a criminal. All the books say so. The criminal is as important as the postman or the police chief. He works against society. If you don't have people working against society, how can you have people working for it? I don't want to do it. Oh, now be reasonable, Tom. When this inspector comes, how can I hold my head up and tell him we don't have any crime? Don't you see that? Right there, the whole thing falls through. He'll see that we're not truly Earth-like. We're faking it. We're aliens. And you heard what he said about being rough on aliens. Well, yeah, yeah. But why me? Now, I'm supposed to have vacation now, now that the fishing season's over. Never mind. You're our criminal. Here, here, I've got this paper all made out for you just to make it legal. Uh... Skulking permit. No, all men with these presents that Tom Fisher is a duly authorized thief and murderer. He is hereby required to skulk in dismal alleys, haunt places of low repute, and break the law. What's law? Well, I'll let you know as fast as I make them up. All earth colonies have law. But what do we do? Well, you steal and kill. Look, I'll give you a couple of books on it, Tom. Steal as much as you like. One murder should be enough. Don't overdo it. Well, that doesn't sound sensible. Well, you can work up to it. Why don't you start off easy like by haunting a place of low repute? You're listening to Skulking Permit, tonight's attraction on X-Minus One. 
Careful planning and sensible driving add up to an enjoyable vacation trip. Here are a few tips from the National Safety Council that should help make your trip a pleasure instead of a tense, nerve-wracking time. Before you leave, have the car given a thorough checkup to be sure it will always respond properly to your careful control. Check the emergency equipment you'll need, such as a first aid kit, keys, permits, identification, flashlight, tire-changing equipment, and your unexpired driver's license. Plan your trip for frequent rest stops with a good night's sleep each night. And then, on your trip, pay attention to the job at hand and don't daydream. Stop off the road to see the sights or read the map. Be prepared for winding and straight roads, level and hilly roads, and changing traffic patterns between urban and rural areas. Obey all speed limits, traffic signs and signals, and keep your distance behind the driver ahead. This vacation is what you've been waiting for all year. Enjoy it with sensible driving. Now back to Skulking Permit on X minus one. Miss Filling. Hey, how come you ain't out thieving now, Tom? Oh, I'm planning. My permit says I have to haunt places of low repute, and that's why I'm here. Oh, this ain't no place of low repute. Well, you serve the worst meals in town. Oh, I know. My wife can't cook, but there's a friendly atmosphere here. Folks like it. Uh, Tom, now, 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 just a minute there. Oh, hi, Billy. What do you have? I'm on official police business. Now, uh, Tom, what are you doing with that beer? Drinking it. Uh, Tom, I think you were planning on stealing it. You're a suspicious character. I think I'd better lock you up for further questioning. No, 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 Billy, Billy, what are you doing? I'm doing my duty, Mayor. Tom here is looking mighty suspicious. The book says... I know what the book says. I gave you the book. You can't go arresting Tom, not yet. Huh? Acting suspiciously isn't a crime. All right. But I was just trying to do my job. I'll still get you, Tom. Remember, crime does not pay. Crime doesn't... Hey, that's a real slick way of putting it, isn't it? I thought it was kind of catchy. I read it in the book. Morning, Marv. How's the schoolhouse coming? Oh, hi, Tom. Fair. Would have come along better if I'd had my saw. Your saw? Yes, I left it leaning against my door last night. Wasn't there this morning, Tom. Oh, yeah, your saw. Well, you know how it is, Marv. I had to practice some skulking last night. Oh, oh, yeah, sure. Say, Tom, do you suppose I could use the saw for a while, just for an hour or two? Well, I don't know. It's legally stolen, you know. Well, I'd give it back. I wouldn't keep anything that was legally stolen. Well, it's in the house with the rest of the loot. Okay, I'll go borrow it then. Uh, Tom, I've been looking for you. Oh, morning, Mayor. Did you steal my bronze plaque? Oh, I certainly did. Oh, well, I was just wondering. Well, you got your murder planned? Time is running short. Inspector may land any hour now, so let's get that killing over with. Oh, well, then uh, I guess I'll kill George Waterman. Why? Why? Why not? What's your motive? Well, I thought you just wanted a murder. Who said anything about a motive? We can't have a fake murder. On Earth, every murderer has a motive. Oh, well. Well, I don't like the way George walks. Never did, and he's noisy sometimes. No, that might be good enough for a crime of passion, but you're a legal criminal, Tom. You're, you're ruthless and cold-blooded and cunning. You can't kill someone just because you don't like the way he walks. That's silly. But I'm supposed to make somebody cease to exist. I mean, like, take Marv Carpenter. Here he is today working on the schoolhouse. Big fella. Now, if I kill him, well, he wouldn't work anymore. Now, I've been trying to imagine it. Marv Carpenter lying on the ground with his eyes glaring open and his mouth twisted. 
and never going to hold a piece of wood in his hands again or never sing a song or have a beer or anything. It just kind of makes me sick. I mean, I can go on with a thieving, but murder... Yes, yes, I know, but it's your job, Tom. It's for the good of the village. Murder? Oh, i better go have another beer. Hey, <laughs> hey, what's that? That must be the inspector's ship landing. Come on, let's go see. Perimeter guard advance. Sidearms to be worn at all time. And guards at battle stations. <clears throat> Welcome to New Delaware. Thank you, General. I'm the inspector. This is Mr. Grant, my political advisor. Is this the capital of the colony? Well, I'm afraid there's only one village on the whole of New Delaware. Only one? Grant, I told you when we surveyed the planet we were wasting our time. Patience, patience. We're ready, General. Let's inspect your village. We've got it all. Jail, post office, church, little red schoolhouse. Oh, we're very normal. Very earthly. Grant, this place is worthless. No smelting, no heavy industry, no atomics, no taxation. Oh, oh, they don't have anything. They'll be downgraded at the next colonial board. Why, this place is a a utopia. It's subversive. We ought to blow it right out of the sky. Now, now, don't be despondent, Inspector. New Delaware has a very important commodity for us. What? You saw them, hulking peasants, nothing but farmers. Yes, strong, healthy farmers. Good cannon fodder. But, oh, oh. Let me take over. General. Yes, sir? How many able young men are there in the village between the ages of 15 and 60? Uh, why? You see, General, Imperial Earth is engaged in a war. The colonies in Ding Four are revolting against the authority of Mother Earth. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. We need good, healthy fighting men. Our reserves are depleted. We wish to give all loyal colonists a chance to fight for Mother Earth. We're sure you won't refuse. Most colonies welcome a little conscription. Cleanses the blood. Reduces crime. Crime? Oh, I thought that would come up. We, we've taken care of that. I appointed... You see, Grant? Sixty, seventy, perhaps a hundred recruits. Not such a waste of time coming here after all. Hey, wait a minute, Mayor. Oh, hello, Tom. What? What are you you doing? Well, you said there had to be a murder, so I'm going to... No, 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 wait just a minute. I, I... Look, I didn't mean me. It can't be me. You haven't any motive. Well, uh... I've been pretty sore about you appointing me town criminal. Look, it was the mayor who appointed you, wasn't it? Well, sure. Well, then, look, I'm not the mayor anymore. I'm, I'm a general. Look, you see, stars, gold braid. Well, what's that got to do with it? Well, you missed the ceremony this afternoon, Tom. The inspector said I had to wear a general's uniform. It was, it was a very friendly ceremony. All the Earthmen were, were winking at me and each other. Oh, know. congratulations. But you were the mayor when you appointed me criminal, so my motive still holds. Yes, but killing a general isn't murder. It's mutiny. Oh. Oh, well, I'm sorry. Oh, that's all right, Tom. It's just that I've read up on it and you haven't. Well, I'd better get back. The inspector wants a lot of the men he can draft. Are you sure this murder is necessary? Oh, yes. Yes, absolutely. Just not me. No luck, huh, Tom? I just can't do it. Ed, I can't kill anybody in the village. I grew up with them. I've worked with them. 
I've drank root beer with him. I don't have any motive for killing any of them. Well, Tom, you have to commit a murder. You don't want to let the village down. Wait, wait, wait a minute. I got an idea. Ed, suppose I kill the inspector. What's your motive? Oh, it would be a very terrible crime. I'd be killing for glory, for fame, for notoriety. And it'll show Earth how earthy New Delaware really is. Well, they'll say crime is so bad here that, that, that a criminal actually killed their inspector on the very first day. Yeah. How are you going to do it? Well, one of those soldiers got drunk in a bottle of your Keebler juice, and I stole his gun. Well, I better get going. I'll wait for him on the path between the mayor's house and the ship. Yeah, good luck, Tom. Yeah, thanks. Sloppy crew, all their feet. Still, it's a nice night's work. With those landing parties dying like flies, we can use every new man we can get. Shh! Don't say that. What? Are you afraid the mayor will hear me? Don't be ridiculous. It's a completely passive population, sheep-like, obedient. But wait till those sergeants get hold of them at the base. They'll whip them into first-class fighting men in no time. Halt! Stand and deliver! What the... Hands up, Inspector. I, I got you covered. Now, the rest of you, drop your guns and move out of the way. What? Now, see here. Now, go on. Now, drop those guns. What's the meaning of this? And who are you? Uh, Tom Fisher. I'm the town criminal. I'm going to kill the inspector. Now, please move out of the way. Criminal? So that's what the mayor was prattling about. Now, I know we haven't had any murders in 200 years, but I'm changing that now. Move out of the way. Well, I suppose I'd better get out of the line of fire, eh? Now, wait a minute. Wait. Now, don't move. Now, I know just how to do it. I've been thinking about it. I'll push this button and you'll die. Now, you'll fall down on the path and your eyes will be open and your mouth twisted and no air going in and out of your lungs and no beat to your heart. And I... And I, I... I can't do it. Here, here's your gun. Take it. I don't want it. Quick, quick after him. Sergeant, have the entire ship's company turned out. General, I want all your people out looking for him. Shoot on sight. Kill him instantly. Oh, we couldn't do that. Although we appreciate the compliment. What? That man's a... He's a criminal, yes. That's, that's what I'm trying to explain. I, I appointed him. We had to have one. You what? You mean you had no criminals? Well, I... No. No, I'm afraid not. I... Oh, I'm terribly ashamed. You see, we knew how uncivilized we were, and that, that's why we did it. I'm dreadfully embarrassed that Tom couldn't handle the job. Why did you give the assignment to that particular man? Well, I figured if anyone could kill, Tom could. He's a fisherman, you know. It's, it's pretty gory work. And he wasn't able to kill the inspector? Well, we just haven't had to kill anything for 200 years except fish. The only animals on New Delaware are small grass eaters, and they're not good to eat, so we never kill any of them. And the rest of you would be equally unable to kill? We wouldn't even get as far as Tom did. I want that man found and... Forget about it, Inspector. What? We'd better get away from here. You want men in our army who can't kill? Think of it. The morale problem. The possibility of infection. One man in a key position endangering a key ship. Or maybe a whole fleet. Because he can't kill. It isn't worth the risk, Inspector. Yes, sir. I, I see what you mean. Order your troops to get back to the ship. We'll take off at once. Tom? Tom, you can come out now. Tom, they're gone. He's he's hiding around here somewhere, Mayor. Yeah. Tom? Oh, Tom? 
Here I am. I'm sorry I bungled it. I guess I won't be needing my skulking permit anymore. No, no, I guess not. Well, we did our best. I had the chance, and then I let you all down. Oh, Tom, it, it's not your fault. Now look how long it took Earth to get civilized. Thousands of years, and we were trying to do it in two weeks. Yeah. Well, we better get back to the village. Looks like rain. Yep. Soon I'll start fishing again. Say. What is it, Tom? I think I could have done it if I'd only had the sense to think of the inspector as a fish. Well, it's too late now. I guess I'll let the village down. Fred Collins again, and I'll have a word for you on tonight's X-1 in a moment. This is Bob Haynes speaking to you from somewhere in the Caribbean. I am aboard a UDT personnel landing craft. That's the underwater demolitions team. We are right now on our way out to rendezvous with United States submarine Sea Lion. Monitor took you there. Some men go over Niagara Falls in a barrel. Some people sit on top of flagpoles. But we have a man by the name of Rajah Phillips from India who is buried alive right in the center of a furniture store here in Owensboro, Kentucky. And Monitor took you there. Big events, little events, offbeat events, comedy, music, news, and sports. They're all part of the top variety of entertainment Monitor brings you all weekend long. This is Frank Blair inviting you to join us on Monitor every weekend and Friday nights, too, on most of these NBC stations. You have just heard X-1, presented by the National Broadcasting Company, in cooperation with Galaxy Science Fiction Magazine, which this month features Blaze of Glory by Robert Silverberg. Galaxy Magazine, on your newsstand today. Tonight, X-1 has brought you Skulking Permit, a story from the pages of Galaxy written by Robert Sheckley and adapted for radio by Ernest Canoy. Featured in our cast were Richard Hamilton, Wendell Holmes, Dean Almquist... Mandel Kramer, Ted Osborne, Santos Ortega, and Bob Hastings. This is Fred Collins. X-1 was directed by Daniel Sutter and is an NBC Radio Network production. There's excitement in the air at night, and Nightline brings it to you. Here, Nightline with Walter O'Keefe. Next on most of these NBC stations. Well, that was Skulking Permit by Robert Sheckley in the X-1 radio series, aired on July the 4th, 1957. Here's a very quick memory that I would like to share with you all. Have you ever been singled out in the crowd by someone doing a presentation? Well, I was, and it was an awesome experience, and unexpected. Amy Todd periodically did assessments for me to get computers, Braille and Speaks, and things for school. Long, long ago, in the 90s. Picture this, it's around early 2003 or 2004, whatever year it was, and our Low Vision Social and Support Group in Windsor was just starting. We were finally a chapter of the Canadian Council of the Blind, and we traveled in style 
to a conference held in Hamilton. Amy Todd is doing a presentation on the humanware products. I ask her a question, and then she goes, Hey, is that Maxwell Crawford? How are you? Before you know it, I'm standing up facing her, and she's talking to me for at least a good three minutes? Five minutes? Maybe. It was sure long enough, if you ask me, but I didn't know because the time was going by quickly. We were chatting about life and how things were going. I bet you it was a short conversation. But I did not expect to have an awesome chat with this awesome person. It made my day. It made her day. And I wondered what I could have done to put such an impression in her mind to single me out and talk with me. It was fun. A few months ago, I wondered how she was doing. Because I don't really keep in contact with people, especially that I've seen several years ago. I found out just a few hours before recording these programs that she had died of pancreatic cancer at the age of 59, and that she did an extensive hike in August in the summer. So Amy Todd, thank you for singling me out. And now, here's The Early Model by Robert Sheckley, aired on July the 11th, 1957. This man is going to be singled out in the crowd, folks. He isn't going to like it, but it will make good listening for us all. Enjoy! This is Walter O'Keefe, inviting you to listen in on the Nightline. Tonight, live the incredible life of ages yet to come, in a time that might be a million years from now, on X-1. Now, an incredible story of the world beyond. Countdown for blast off. X minus five, four, three, two, X minus one, fire. From the far horizons of the unknown come tales of new dimensions in time and space. These are stories of the future, adventures in which you'll live in a million could be years on a thousand maybe worlds. The National Broadcasting Company, in cooperation with Galaxy Science Fiction Magazine, presents X minus one. Tonight, Early Model by Robert Sheckley. But first, hear this. When you swing and sway to a Latin beat, life is lovely, life is sweet. You make it Pabst, cause Pabst makes it perfect. Yes, Pabst makes it perfect, just as we always have ever since 1844. So next time, you make it Pabst, because Pabst makes it perfect. America's Blue Ribbon Beer from the Pabst Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Yes, Pabst makes it perfect. Now, 
X-1. And the Robert Sheckley story, Early Model. Of course, Professor Sliggett claimed the trouble was that the Protec was an early model. But then he invented it. He sprung the thing on me just before I took off for my scouting contact mission to Tells 4 in the Betelgeuse sector. Here, Bentley, put this on. Well, what is it? A new model. It's called a Protec. What's it for? Now, you'll wear it on your mission. Now, look, Sliggett, I already have to carry enough equipment to give varicose veins to an elephant. Linguacine, that's 22 pounds. I can't do without it or I can't translate native languages. Concentrated food, water, subspace radio, weapons, medical kit. Now, how much does this thing weigh? 72 pounds. Try it on. Look, I won't promise it to fits take... right on your back. Here, I'll snap the harness. Hmm, fits fine. Uh, it digs into my back. There's a sharp thing back that's there. That's the sensory link. It has to be at that angle. But my We're back... We're working on the problem. Now, don't worry. What does it do? Protec is the perfect protection for initial planet contact. There are pseudo-protein computer banks and an Anderson Woodward force field projector. Wherever the Protec senses danger... Yeah, look, I'll show you. I take this slide rule and swing at you. Hey, where did everybody go? Who turned out the lights? Hey, Sliggett, where am I? Sliggett, get me out of here. Sliggett! You... What happened? The Protec went on. Ooh. It encased you in the AW force field. I released by master control. You can turn it off with this button on your chest. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah, but 73 pounds. Well, this is an early model. I've used every weight-saving device possible, but unfortunately, early models are always a little bulky. All right, all right. How do I take it off? I'm not going to tell you. Huh? We're not going to take chances of having valuable equipment discarded just because it might be a little uncomfortable. Bentley, you're going to an alien planet. It's necessary that you be protected at all times. Look, I've got enough sense to figure out when to wear this thing. Yeah, suppose you find the natives seemingly friendly. You'd want to take off this heavy, uncomfortable protect. But suppose you misjudge their attitude. Sligert, I can take care of myself. That's what Atwood said before he left for a Topus Three. We never heard from him. Bentley, can you turn a knife thrust from the rear? Have you got eyes in the back of your head? Protect has. We're not going to risk $8 million worth of equipment just because you might be uncomfortable. Suppose it blows a fuse or, or pops a wire. We've got triple everything with a power supply good for a century. Bentley, after this field test, the Protec will be standard equipment for all explorers. Well, all right. I'll try to get used to it. But it feels like I'm carrying a 72-pound monkey on my back. <laughs> carried it for six weeks on the way to Tells 4. And the added weight loused up my coordination and landing, so I burned out about seven acres with backlash from the braking tube. The radio receiver buried in my ear itched, and my back was rubbed raw from the carrying straps. I piled on my linguacine and the other equipment and staggered out. My instructions were to fraternize with the aborigines and establish a trade pact, if possible. I found two of them standing outside the tail fins when the hull had cooled enough to get out. They were bipeds, orange-skinned with thick, short tails, and they were armed with stone axes and clubs. I stepped out of the lock, and they started talking fast. I realized I hadn't turned on my linguacine, so I tuned it in and threw the switch. I dare say it's a manifestation of some supernatural quality, eh, Wassel, old chap? Without a doubt, old man. You know how the linguacine works, instantaneous semantic translation. Well, mine was made by the Gorley Laboratories just outside London, and naturally they had the word tapes recorded by BBC announcers. 
It takes a little getting used to when you hear some walking vegetable from the Canopa system talking like the home service. Well, the Tellians were pretty excited by my arrival. How strange. Unbelievable. Most improper, you know. I suppose it can talk. I... I come as a friend. A friend. Well, it does talk. Dreadful accent. But what can you expect, eh? Foreigners, you know. You know, old boy? I definitely sense an evil. Oh, now, come. We're both ghost doctors. Surely if there was an evil, we'd both sense it. Well, let's ask, shall we? Let's. I say, are you evil? Me? Why, yes. You see, we're the village ghost doctors. It's our job to ferret out evil, so to speak. It's our cup of fugal, so to speak. Are you evil? Oh, no. No. He says he's not evil. Well, how do you know? If he doesn't, who does? My dear fellow, appearances aren't everything. Surely you recall the legend of Hatape, the gods tempted the chief... Please, by... my dear chap, I'm as well aware of religious precedent as you are. The two of them stood there, lashing their orange tails, accusing each other of heresy. The linguistine finally couldn't handle the theological discussion and cut out before overload blew a circuit. Eventually, they must have decided something because the short one carrying the stone axe turned to me. Stranger, we've decided not to kill you. Not yet, anyway. We'll go to the village and purify ourselves, then we'll initiate you into the club. The club? The Society of Ghost Doctors. You see, no evil thing can become a ghost doctor. It just isn't done, you know. Oh, we'll find out the truth that way. <laughs> Clever, eh? I'm deeply grateful. But if you're evil, we'll destroy you. Have to. Our job, you know. You are listening to Early Model, tonight's attraction on X-1. For the big things in your life, be ready with United States savings bonds. That's the new savings bond with the higher interest rate. The improved Series E savings bonds that now mature faster to pay you back extra dollars faster. Yes, when you think of saving, think of savings bonds. They offer you the safe, easy way to save regularly. Safe because each bond is backed by the United States government itself. Easy because you can buy bonds either where you bank or through the payroll savings plan where you work. And you get back $4 at maturity for every three invested, so you earn extra dollars. But the big news is that the maturity period is shortened to only 8 years and 11 months. So join the bond wagon. Start a family savings program. Invest in improved Series E bonds today and hold the bonds you already own. Now, back to X-1 and tonight's story, Early Model. Sliggard, calling Professor Sliggard at home base. Come in. Go ahead, Bentley. Report. I'm in the village now. They're about to initiate me as some kind of priest. All I have to do is pass some kind of tests. And, uh, by the way, if I don't pass, they're going to kill me. <laughs> ah, that's good. What's funny? They can't hurt a hair on your head, not with Protec on the job. They seem awfully confident that they can. Primitive cultures always overestimate the power of their weapons. Don't worry. Just let Protec take care of you. 
Go ahead, old boy. It's purified ceremonial food. But I can't. Why not? We purified with seven sprinklings of strychnine, according to ritual. It's a, a taboo. I'm only allowed to eat my own supplies. A, a tribal taboo, you know. How primitive. Positively pagan. Well, oh, shall we get on with it? Uh, we'll dispense with the written exam and get right down to the oral. Tell me, what do you think of evil? Well, it isn't good. Ah. Well put. Well, in that case, you have no objection to receiving the sacred and very holy spear that uh, Cran Clue brought down from the abode of the small gods, the brandishing of which brings good on a man? Oh, I would be honored to receive it. Very well, then. The ceremony can commence. Oh, stranger from the skies, accept from us the spear of sanctity. Evil cannot abide the presence of this spear. Take, then, our blessings with it. Here, here, oh stranger, take the spear! What? Confounded Protect, where's that release button? Sligert, Sligert, come in! Oh, he's probably out to lunch. Gotta get that force field off. There! Uh, listen, listen, I, I, I'm terribly sorry, Begin but the I... purification, Dodge. We are in the presence of evil spirits! Oh, no, 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 I can explain. You cannot accept the sacred spear? Well, you see... I've got this protective device, uh, sort of like a shield, you know? It doesn't like spears. It doesn't trust them. Uh, you couldn't give me a, a sacred gourd? Nonsense. Who ever heard of a sacred gourd? Poppycock. Look, you'll just have to take my word for it. I'm not evil, really. Uh, Scout's honor. Our course is clear. Transparent. We won't kill you at once. We'll pray for you through the night. And perhaps in the morning, things will turn out better. If not... Sorry, old boy, but you understand our position. We'll just have to kill you. Can't be helped. Regulations, you know. Yes, yes, Bentley, I understand. Well, primitive people are notoriously treacherous. They might have stamped you with the spear. Look, Sliggett, I'm positive there was no such intent. After all, you have to start trusting people sometime. Not with a billion dollars worth of equipment in your charge. Don't you understand? The Protec wouldn't let me accept their sacred spear. That means I might be evil. Now, what if I can't pass the initiation test tomorrow? Look, tell me how to take it off. Oh, no. We want you back alive. There's no way they can hurt you through the Protec field. Now, try to have a little faith. <laughs> The campfires burned all night, and I could hear the chants of the ghost doctors. At least three or four times during that night, the Protect Force field howled on and off, but I was too tired to care. In the morning, the two Tellians came to see me and stood switching their fat orange tails politely while the linguacine translated for me. There were great sounds from your hut last night, sounds of torment, as if you were wrestling with a devil, so to speak. I'm a restless sleeper. Yes. Yes, of course. Quite. By the way, Elting, did you pray for purification last night? Hmm? Oh, yes, 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 I did. And was your prayer granted? Yes, oh, yes, sure, certainly. Not a, not a bit of evil around me. Well, if you can't be initiated, we'll have to destroy you. We made that clear, didn't we? Oh, yes, quite clear. The initiation ritual took the whole day. It was sort of a cross between a Shriner's convention and a performance of Das Rheingold at the Met. 
Luckily, no one tried to hand me a ceremonial spear or point a club in my direction, so the Protec kept its grimy force field to itself. Finally, around supper time, the Tellians pounded the last tail on the ground, and everyone stopped and paid close attention. Oh, brothers, this alien has come across the vast emptiness to be our brother. With this initiation, we purge him of evil and make him one of us. Brother, now you are a ghost doctor with all the privileges and perquisites pertaining thereto. And in friendship, I extend to you the claw of friendship. Well, thanks. You have only to shake claws, and the ceremony is concluded. All right, brother. Give me some skin. Slip me seven. No, no, listen, turn it off. He just wants to shake hands. You're spoiling everything. Off, off. Now, where's that button? Off! (laughs) Evil. 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 Well, there it is, you know. We hoped we could muddle through, but you can't win them all, you know. There's only one thing left. Kill the devil! About 30 of the Tellians heaved stone spears at me, and naturally I disappeared inside the Anderson-Woodwood force field, and the spears rattled off the whining coruscating power sphere. I tried to walk back to the ship, but the protect went on about every half step, and at that rate it would take me about a month to cover the ground. I figured I'd wait them out. And then I noticed that the air inside the field began to go stale. I came out of the field. The Tellians were sitting around. Rennick picked up a spear. Evil. Wait, wait. Hold off. Uh, Fins. Fair play. Fair play? I say, Rennick, he's due a three-minute sanctuary under the sacred law of his You really think so? He invoked fair play. True. True. All right, monster. You have three minutes. Thanks. Hello. Hello, Sliggert. Come in, Sliggert. Ah, there you are, Bentley. Listen, you've got to get me out of this. They're trapping me in the Protec. You mean the Protec is saving you from harm? No, no, they keep activating it. They'll starve me out. Now, don't get panicky. Just sit tight in the Protec field till they see they can't harm you. You confounded idiot. There's no air in there. The force field cuts it off. I'll choke. Oh, oh, dear, that's true, isn't it? Ah, don't worry. We'll correct that in future models. Oh, thanks a lot. But what am I going to do right now? How do I get this thing off? Well, now I am sorry. To tell the truth, I designed the harness so that you couldn't get out under any circumstances. You lousy... Please, please, let's keep our heads. You can hold out for a couple of months. We might be able to... I can't. The air, the water... And I hate to mention it, but they seem to be building fires around me. I'm sorry. Your three minutes are up. We are going to destroy you with fire. It's traditional that way. Uh, my dear chap, would you like to kindle the first blaze? Oh, after you, old fellow. Remember, I burned the last evil monster. True, true. Oh, uh, monster. Yes? Do you have a light? I knew I was cooked, one way or the other. They started to light fires around me in a circle, and the protect snapped on. I had to get out. Of course, when I did, the Tellians would cheerfully spear me to death. But at least I had a chance of running. The field snapped on again. I grabbed my knife from the tool chest and hacked at the thick duroplastic webbing of the harness. I came out of the field long enough to hear Sliggert shouting in my ear. What are you doing? Cutting my way out of this fire trap. You don't dare destroy government equipment. This will go down on your 201 file. Look, I'm trapped inside the field as long as they feed the fire. And considering how they feel about devils, they'll probably keep it up a couple of hundred years. Oh, they're pushing the fire closer. Goodbye.
I tore at the straps with my wire cutters and knife. I could only work when the field was off. The protect protected itself. Finally, I ripped the harness off just as the field went on, and I was thrown 20 feet into the fire. But I landed on my feet and was off and running. It took the Tellians just 100 yards to catch up and gently lay a stone club along the side of my head. Oh, oh well... Let's get it over with. You're going to kill me. Let's not make a production out of it. Oh, but my dear fellow, we don't want to kill you. Dear me, no. We knew you were a good man. It was the devil we wanted. I don't mean to be tactless, but you do know you had a devil riding on your back. We tried to purify him, but he was too strong. <laughs> the fire took the starch out of him, though. The devil? The devil on my back? Oh, yeah, yeah, I, I guess so, yes. You know, our village is very proud to have such a powerful devil chained up inside a fire ring. Uh, tell me, my dear chap, you haven't by any chance any more devils like that in your homeland? No, that's the only one. Pity. Huh? We'd really be tickled orange if we could have a few more uh, to worship, you know. You mean trade for them? Why, yes. I'm sure every village would want one. Well, I think that can be arranged, and you haven't seen anything. We'll sell you devils that really are devils, after all... <laughs> This one is just an early model. Fred Collins again. And I'll be back to tell you a word about tonight's X-1 in a moment. Bob! Bob Barker! Yes, Ralph? Ah, Bob. I uh, just want to say that I heard you emceeing the Truth or Consequences program on NBC Radio, and I thought you were great, boy. Well, that's real, quite a compliment. Real, real great. I mean it. <laughs> Coming from none other than Ralph Edwards, the creator of and original Truth or Consequences MC. You really liked the show, Ralph? Oh, I'll say I did. It was wonderful hearing it on radio again. Sounded better than ever. Well, no one should know better than you, Ralph. But really, we just can't miss. Our contestants are wonderful. Yes, the I know. The stunts are out of this world. Mm -hmm. Surprise family reunions, the gigantic whisper contest. Yes. A dream world of jackpot prizes, especially for NBC radio listeners. Really? And not just once a week, Ralph, but every weekday morning. No That's kidding. right. Monday through Friday. Can you beat it? I'm going to right now, Bob. So long, folks. You have just heard X-1, presented by the National Broadcasting Company in cooperation with Galaxy Science Fiction Magazine, which this month features Make Me an Offer by Con Blomberg. Galaxy Magazine, on your newsstand today. Tonight, X-1 has brought you Early Model, a story from the pages of Galaxy written by Robert Sheckley and adapted for radio by Ernest Canoy. Featured in our cast were Bob Hastings, Joseph Bell... Anthony Campbell Cooper, and Alastair Duncan. This is Fred Collins speaking. X-1 was directed by Daniel Sutter and is an NBC Radio Network production. There's excitement in the air at night, and Nightline brings it to you. Here in Nightline with Walter O'Keefe. Next on most of these NBC stations. Well, folks, that was the early model from X-1 and aired on July the 11th, 1957. How did you like that crazy British accent? 
I thought that was pretty funny. Well, folks, we got one more story coming your way by Robert Sheckley from the X-1 series. Here is The Native Problem, aired on September 26, 1957. Enjoy, but don't squirm if you can help it. Countdown for blast off. X minus five, four, three, two, X minus one, fire. From the far horizons of the unknown come tales of new dimensions in time and space. These are stories of the future, adventures in which you'll live in a million could-be years on a thousand maybe worlds. The National Broadcasting Company, in cooperation with Galaxy Science Fiction Magazine, presents... X minus one... Tonight, The Native Problem by Robert Sheckley. But first, hear this. This is Marion Baker of Atlanta, Georgia. As a teacher, there is a problem that I feel quite acutely. I know most of you think I'm speaking of low salaries or inadequate school facilities. True, both of these situations should be remedied. But actually, what I would like to speak to you about is something which should be quite close to you as parents. Each day in your community, there are, quite probably, children who will miss valuable days in school simply because of preventable illnesses. It's all very easy to speak of the normal winter cold, but such things as hot breakfasts, good lunches, adequate clothing, and shoes can do more than any yet-to-be-discovered miracle drug in keeping our children warm and healthy and in class. Look into your school system this fall when your youngsters go back to school but give equal consideration to the way in which you look after your children's needs. Now, X minus one, and tonight's story, The Native Problem. To begin with, my name is Edward Danton. I've always been a misfit. Oh, that's all right. I'm not sensitive about it. In fact, I've grown rather proud of it. I just don't fit in the modern 22nd century world. There was no place in all of New York City from Norfolk to Bangor where I felt at home. And it was the same in every other great city complex on Earth. In school, I took such elementary subjects as group acculturation, sibling fit, values recognition, and folkways judgment. There was only one thing to do. As practically every misfit in the past century had done, I decided to migrate to deep space and find a place where I could call my soul my own. I told my best friend, Al Trevor, of my plan. Good night. You're really going, Ed? That's right, Al. Just as far from this solar system as I can get. But why, man? You've played 12-handed bridge with me, Al. Uh You know what a dope I am at mass dancing. I'm a misfit. I want to get away. And it's not like in the days when the ships used the old Nicholson Drive. 
with these new GM subspatial torque converters where we can travel in a matter of months what used to take them 30 or 40 years. Well, I hate to see you go. Uh, One more thing, Al. I'm going to give you my breeding certificate. Oh, now, Ed, we couldn't let you do that. You and Myrtle want two children, don't you? We've always wanted to have two, but you must have... I won't need a breeding certificate where I'm going. As a matter of fact, I may even find it impossible to breed at all. Well, that could be rather frustrating, old man. Well, maybe after a while I'll find a girl pioneer. In the meantime, there's always sublimation. True, true. Uh, What substitute have you selected? Vegetable garden. Might as well be practical, you know. Might as well. Well, old man, good luck and thanks for that breeding certificate. The next day, I took off for the stars on the government ship. The spot I picked was out in what they call the New Territories. The planet I finally settled for was ideal. A calm, watery place dotted with fertile islands, blessed with a mild, uniform climate, and absolutely uninhabited. When they left me there, I took formal possession and christened the place New Tahiti for obvious reasons. At first, it was fine. I was busy exploring, growing vegetables, and building a shelter. After that, though, time began to drag. I had to do something. But what? I was marooned on this deserted planet, and it might be years before another Earth ship would land here. And then, miraculously, it happened. A ship came out of the skies and headed for a landing on my own private island. It was an ancient Mickelson drive job, battered and scored, but bearing a proud legend painted on its nose. The Hutter people, it read. When the ship landed on the beach... I ran out to meet it, forgetting that I must have looked more like a naked savage than a fellow Earthman. Hey! Hey! Hey, they're in the ship! Stop where you are! Welcome to New Tahiti. Boy, am I glad to see you folks. What's the latest news from... Stand back there. Take another step and I'll shoot. What, is something wrong? What's your name? Edward Danton. What's yours? Simeon Smith, military commander of the Hutter people. And this is Jedekiah Franker, my second in command. How come you speak English, boy? Me? Why, I've always spoken English. Where are the others? Where are they hiding? There aren't any others. Just me. I see. Father, can't we come out now? No, get back in the ship, Anita. Then I'll watch from here. Say, she's pretty. Your daughter? Huh. What do you think, Simeon? It's what I expected, ingratiating, fawning, undoubtedly treacherous. His people won't show themselves, you notice, Uh probably waiting in ambush. I think an object lesson is in order. Right. Put the fear of civilization into them. Hey, don't point that gun at me. Father, no, he hasn't done anything yet. This way the others will know we mean business. It isn't right. Let him have it, Jedekiah. No, wait! Wait! Hey! He's running for the woods. Shoot him, Jedekiah. Okay. Shoot him. We've got to teach these savages who's boss. You're listening to The Native Problem. Tonight's attraction on X-1. Friends, for as many years as any of us can remember, the sadness that polio has brought to so many homes has been almost unparalleled. But a greater sadness than this lies ahead for any who may from now on catch polio. Because it may be due to carelessness. Vaccination against polio, the well-known sock shots, is more than 75% effective. 
And it's due to such vaccination that there was a drop of 47% in polio cases last year. Five million have had as much as one shot of the vaccine. And please remember that while the first and second shots are helpful, the third shot is necessary for maximum protection. Now, there's plenty of vaccine, and the doctors are anxious to cooperate. Remember, the end of polio is at hand, but it takes three visits to the doctor to lick it. Can you afford not to go? Now, back to X-1 and the native problem. I was just plain lucky to get back to the friendly cover of the forest without stopping a bullet. It was obvious these people were too jumpy just then to listen to reason and believe me when I told them that I was not a native, that I was all alone here. I decided to wait a while. About dusk, I crept through the woods to get as near their ship as I could without being seen. They had come out of their ship. There were several dozen men and women and a few children. They were grouped around a campfire eating. On the edges of the group were several armed men looking toward the woods with apprehension. I watched while their leader, Simeon, stepped into the circle of firelight to address them. I could hear everything he said plainly. Friends, we have come at last to our long-awaited home, our promised land. Behold, a land of milk and honey, a place of bounty and abundance. Was it not worth the long voyage, the constant peril, the endless search? Yes, it was. However, there is an aboriginal people here, naked and savage, undoubtedly cunning, ruthless and amoral, as aboriginals always are. Of these we must beware. We will live in peace with them if they will let us. No one can tell what goes on in a savage heart. Their standards are not ours. Their morals are not ours. We cannot trust them. We must be forever on guard. And if in doubt, we must shoot first. Remember, land too. This was not going to be easy. I decided not to try another approach that night. The next morning, as they were bustling about unloading their spaceship, I walked down to the beach and headed straight for them with my hands held out to show them that they were empty. The sentry stopped me at the point of a gun, and in a minute, both Simeon and Jedekiah came running up, covering me with their weapons. I stood still, my flesh creeping in anticipation of the bullets someone might fire at me any minute. So you have come back. I'd like to explain. I am the leader of these people. I am the big chief fella. You, big fella chief, your people? There's no need to talk that way. I told you yesterday. I have no people. There's just me. I speak English. Unless you're honest with me, you're going to regret. Now, where's your tribe? I'm an earth man. Are you deaf? Can't you tell by the way I talk? Now, listen, you... Excuse me, uh, Simeon. I uh, don't believe I have met your friend. Professor Baker, this savage here claims to be an earth man. Oh? You are an earth man? That's right. My name is Edward Danton. Only a few months ago, I left earth on a spaceship. How was it powered? By a GM subspatial torque converter. What do you think, Professor? It's amazing. Truly amazing. His grasp of colloquial English bespeaks a fairly high level of intelligence, which points up a phenomenon frequently met with in savage societies, namely an unusually well-developed power of mimicry. Our friend, Danter, 
as his original uncorrupted name must have been, will probably be able to tell us many tribal legends and myths. Oh, come off it, Professor. I'm an Earthman. No, no, my poor friend, you are not. Obviously, you have met an Earthman. Some trader, I dare say, uh, stopping for repairs. We saw signs that a spaceship once landed here, Professor. Oh, <laughs> confirmation of my hypothesis. That was the government ship that dropped me off here. It is interesting to note how his almost plausible story lapses into myth at various crucial points. He claims this ship was powered by a GM subspatial torque converter. Now, this is a nonsense syllabification, since the only deep space drive is the Nicholson. He also claims that a journey from Earth was made in a matter of months, since his untutored mind cannot conceive of a journey lasting for years. Yet we know that uh, no space drive, even theoretically, can reach here from Earth in less than 30 or 40 years. Then GM must have been developed after you left Earth. How long have you been gone? The hotter ship left Earth 120 years ago. We are mostly fourth and fifth generation. Now, come on, Danta. Where's your tribe? Why are they hiding? This is preposterous. What can I do to convince you I'm from Earth? That's enough. We won't stand for backtalk from natives. Where are your people? There's only me. Maybe a taste of the black snake whip will loosen his tongue. Later, Jedekiah. His tribe will come around for handouts. Natives always do. Then let's put him to work. Danta, you can join that work gang over there unloading supplies. No, thanks. I'll go back. <coughs> Chief said no backtalk. <laughs> Why are you natives always so bone lazy? You'll be paid as soon as we unload the beads and calico. Now get to work. What could I do? I joined the work gang and unloaded the ship. By late afternoon, we had finished. I sneaked off to sit beside a mountain spring near the ship. In a few minutes, Anita, the pretty girl I had noticed the day before, came and sat beside me. Hello, Danda. Oh. Nita, do you think I'm a native? What else can I think? Everyone knows how fast a spaceship can travel. Times have changed since your people left her. By the way, they weren't in space all that time, were they? No, they originally settled on a planet called Land 2. But there was a native rebellion. We barely managed to escape. In that case, I can understand why they're so nervous about aboriginals. Oh, but don't worry, Dada. Things will be better when the council takes over. Who are they? A council of elders. They're men of goodwill who... Who detest violence. And if you and your people are really peaceable... I haven't any people. Yes, I know. But if you and your people are really peaceable, you're sure to prosper under the rule of the elders. It was no use. I couldn't even convince her. But as we sat together and talked, I began to forget my problems. I was enchanted by her. And I think she liked me, too. After a while, as though it were the most natural thing in the world, she was in my arms, and I was kissing her. What's going on here? Oh, Jedekiah. You. You're a disgrace to your people. Are you out of your mind, girl? You can't mess around with a dirty native and keep your self-respect. Oh, just a minute, you. Shut up. For you, you've got to learn something and learn it good. Natives don't fool around with hotter women. I'm going to impress that little lesson on you right here and now. Jedekiah, don't! I've had enough from you. Dante, you struck him. Well, he tried to hit me first. Get up, Jedekiah. You're not hurt. Oh, oh my jaw. Help! Help! The natives are revolting! Help! <laughs> 
Well, that did it. People began to shout and run all over the place. Anita tried to calm them down, but it was no use. I took to the brush just before they turned a machine gun on me. And all that night I hid while armed parties went crashing through the woods, shouting and firing at shadows. It was a nightmare. There goes one. Quick, they're behind us. Turn the machine gun. Got him. No, they got away. Look, look there in the trees. Fireman, fire! like that all night long. By morning, I was exhausted, and so were they. I hid in the jungle and waited. I don't know what for. And then, along about the middle of the day, I saw Anita. I thought she was alone at first, and I knew she was looking for me. I stepped out in the trail in front of her. Oh, it's you, Denton. Anita, I... There are men back there. It's all right. They won't harm you. They came to guard me. Danta, are you all right? Guard you from me? They don't know you as I do. At the council meeting today, I told them the truth. You did? I told them the fight wasn't your fault. I told them you were only defending yourself. And Jedekiah lied. No pack of natives attacked him. It was only you. And I told them this. At last. Did they believe you? Oh, yes. I explained that the native attack came later. Native attack? Now, look, there wasn't any attack, Anita. There couldn't be. There aren't any natives. I could tell right then it was no use trying to convince anyone, even the girl I loved. It was then that I decided back to her people and waited for a time just to make them nervous. Then the next morning, I came striding into the middle of the Hutter camp. Halt! One step more and I'll kill you. I want to see Simeon. All right, Jedekiah, I'll take over. Here I am, Danta. Shall I shoot him, Simeon? No, let him speak. Go on, Danta, what is it? I have come here to bring you a declaration of war. What? I'll kill him now. What is it? What's happened? Oh, Danta, what is it? It's war. But I begged with you to bring peace to your people. They wouldn't listen. It's war. All the tribes are gathering from every outlying island. How, how many are there? Many thousands. Fifty or sixty. We will fight to the death. Uh, Danta, wait. Surely we can reach an agreement to... Why shed all this blood? There is a way. I thought so. Uh, what do you want? Equal rights. Yes, yes. What else? Well, that is all. Except, naturally, an alliance between the ruling clan of the Hutters and the ruling clan of New Tahiti. In short, a marriage. Never. We'll fight, even though we're wiped out. We can't. We wouldn't have a chance. Except, Father. Except before it's too late. How can I accept? Where could I find a hutter woman who would sacrifice herself for a marriage like that? Why don't you ask me? And so it came about. Anita and I were married and were very happy. The hutters, too, prospered in their new land. And soon they began to build up a thriving new civilization. Anita and I and our family moved to one of the more remote islands, where we weren't so much in the thick of things. Sometimes people would come to see us, ask me to talk about my people, and I would tell them how they could not stand the white man's civilization and how they died off, all but me. It always made them feel very guilty. And somehow I liked 
to watch them squirm. As I said, I've always been a misfit. Fred Collins again. I'll have another word about X-1 in a moment. X-1, presented by the National Broadcasting Company in cooperation with Galaxy Science Fiction Magazine, which this month features Break a Leg by Jim Harmon. The man worthwhile couldn't be allowed to smile. If he ever laughed at himself, the entire ship and crew were as good as dead. Read it in Galaxy Magazine on your newsstand today. X-1 has brought you The Native Problem, a story written by Robert Sheckley and adapted for radio by William Welch. Featured in the cast were John Thomas, Joseph Bolin, James Dukas, Ellen Muir, Charles Webster, and Alan Bergman. Your announcer, Fred Collins. X-1 was an NBC Radio Network production. Well, folks, that was The Native Problem. Aired on September 26, 1957, and written by Robert Shackley, no less. Yes, that Robert Shackley dude also wrote a neat story you may want to look up and listen to called Bad Medicine. That's another classic of his. You can find it in X-1, and you can find it on LibriVox.org and in Project Gutenberg, no less. Now... I want to thank everybody for listening, for tuning in, and remember, technology doesn't heal our wounds, only love and kindness do, and a bit of peace too. So peace out to everyone, have lots of fun, peace out, and see you soon. Bye now!